It's no secret the NFL has a problem with race. Think Colin Kaepernick. Think Brian Flores. But this isn't a new problem. It's one that started as far back as the 1930s, with a ban on Black players in the NFL, with a past that informs the present. Blackballed is a new miniseries podcast from The Ringer about the four men who broke the color barrier in football. I'm your host, Chelsea Stark-Jones. Blackballed is dropping soon on The Ringer NFL feed. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we are going to wrap up the first round of the NCAA tournament, and we're going to do it with one of my favorite people in all the world. His name is Michael Lombardi. There's good news. Uh, New Jersey basketball matters again, and Michael Lombardi is going to come on the show. He's going to talk about why New Jersey has always mattered and why, you know, March Madness is the best, and it's great to get Lombardi's thoughts excited about that. I'm also going to run through the entire slate of games today and just give you my big picture thoughts. We have no Kyle Mann tonight. Kyle Mann is traveling, so it'll be myself. It'll Kyle be- Creighton. We got Kyle Creighton in the building, uh, and we're going to break down all the biggest storylines in basketball. It's a lot of fun. I basically just uh, keep talking until I run out of breath. It's like I'm playing in Denver um, in the NCAA tournament. It's like I'm on Baylor. So it's a fun show. I'm excited for everyone to hear it. I'm excited to get into all the basketball of the day. I'm excited to talk about Lombardi again, one of my favorite people in the world. Kyle, Kyle, is there anything else that we need to hit before we get into the show? No, it's been, you know, it's been four long days. I feel like I just took all the all the finals for my high school class. And then, you know, next week is going to be the region state test. So I'm just going to enjoy the next couple of days. It's been great. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. Technical foul. All right. Welcome into One Shining Podcast. It is late here on the West Coast. It's about... Nine o'clock right now. We just watched Gonzaga TCU wrap up. Gonzaga heading to the Sweet 16. We're going to get into all the games. Uh, we got a great show packed up right now because, uh, look, I'm sitting in a studio by myself. I'm, I'm looking at producer Kyle right now. We have no Kyle Mann in the building. If you've been keeping up with OSP, it's been myself and Kyle Mann. We've been watching all the games together, talking to each other, watching Synergy, talking about, you know, this matchup, that matchup. And today it's been... Uh, a little bit, a little different. Uh, it's just been me and Kyle. We've been at the Spotify office, and uh, Kyle, I don't know about you, but it felt like home alone. It felt like we were 
We were at home. Our parents weren't here. We had <laughs> right. the entire uh, Spotify office and studios all to ourselves. We have all the cold brew coffee you can imagine. We have all the snacks you can imagine. We're reading books that are randomly all over the office. We're <laughs> yes. sitting in different seats. We're testing them out. I'm laying down everywhere. I'm like, God, this seems like a nice couch. It, it felt like a place that when I first got here, I'm not going to lie, I felt like I didn't belong, right? But as, you know, the days have worn on. I feel on, like I own the place. Yeah, I feel like this is my house now. <laughs> I feel like I live here. Uh, even Lombardi, when he uh, talked to us earlier, he was like, it looks like Kramer. I look like Kramer. And I was yes. living in the studio of the Merv Griffin show. So... That's how it feels. Um, so I, I wanted to do that to paint a little picture for the people at home where they're like, what is this guy doing? Where is he? I'm in one of the nicest production facilities in the world, probably. And I think all the security guards we've been seeing that we we're pretty we're pretty tight with everybody now, but we're definitely the only people they've seen, uh, you know, today and yesterday. There's, what do you think they think we I do? I don't know. I think they maybe think we're like working on the servers or something. Yeah, they must like think a big were, problem in the server. They think room. that we're technical guys for sure. They <laughs> yeah. think that we're we're just going around. Uh, and we're just checking all the the microphones and things like that. But look, it's been a lot of fun. It's been great to be in the building. Shout out to Spotify for for giving us this great setup, and uh, shout out to Bill Simmons and everyone at the Ringer for giving me this opportunity to hang out and watch basketball and talk about basketball. And uh, if you're just tuning in, we have a great show because Lombardi, Michael Lombardi, my old co-host from GM Street, is going to be coming up in a little bit. But before we get to Lombardi and we talk about New Jersey basketball and we talk about you know all the things that are fresh on his mind. Uh, like Marquise Noel, um, who is the point guard for Kansas State, someone that he has fallen in love with, all of Lombardi's guys. I want to run through the games um, and just kind of give, you know, some some big picture thoughts, some tidbits um, from these games. And it all started this morning. I was in bed. Um, like I said, Kyle Mann was not here. He was flying back to Louisville. And uh, so that meant that I could watch this first wave of games at home. And I wake up and Kyle, the best thing I could ever see it's the Sean Miller showcase. We have uh, Sean Miller, who is trying to make it to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2017 when he did that back with Arizona. That was before the FBI, of course, made their flow chart and said, Jeff D'Angelo, go crack the case for us. This is way back in the day. But anyway, Sean Miller, he's played Pittsburgh as alma mater uh, two times in the tournament. He lost the first time. He won the second time. This was the rubber match to see if Sean Miller could get over the hump. Could he beat his alma mater? There were a lot of questions back in the day when Kevin Stallings went 0-18 uh, you know, with Pittsburgh, you know, who will be the next coach? A lot of people thought Sean Miller might be that guy, but he says uh, and has said and has maintained that he was never someone that would go back to Pitt. But anyways, that's all the backstory. We get to the game today. Xavier kind of dominates from the start. Um, Adam Kunkel was the guy that really stood out to me. Five threes in this game. I think he made all five of his first five threes that he took to, uh, that he took in this one. And again, Xavier, all five starters ended up in double digits in this game. Pitt gave a nice little false hope run late in the second half. That's what Capel's team has been able to do. Blake Henson, a guy that was almost an OSPer, he was like right on the brink of being an OSPer, hit some big shots. But in the end, uh, I mean, we got more Sean Miller sweating memes than than I think uh, you know we probably deserved, just because Pitt was making this false hope run. But at the end of the day, uh, Sule Boom. Uh, Colby Jones uh, and Jack Nunji, uh, who, you know, he only averages one block a game, but Jack Nunji, he alters a lot of shots. So I think if Kyle Mann was sitting across from me, we would talk about the fact that he alters a lot of shots. He may not block a lot, but he affects the game in that way. Xavier leaves uh, with a nice win, a nice taste in their mouth. They're back in the Sweet 16. Like I said, Sean Miller there for the first time since 2017. And now we have a position where Xavier, they've been to the Elite Eight three times in program history. They've been right on the brink of a Final Four 
They have never made the Final Four. So Sean Miller, he's looking, he's, you know, he's licking his chops. He's looking right at it. That was always the joke at Arizona. Can Sean Miller actually make a Final Four? Um, it was kind of the, is Scott Drew a good coach? Um, well, that was one of those questions. Like it was, uh, it felt like every offseason you could ask that question. And now Sean Miller has a chance back in the Sweet 16. Congratulations. He now won the rubber match. So he officially owns his alma mater. He said he didn't want to coach there, only wanted to play there. And now he's playing and winning as a coach at Xavier, which is kind of like his second home. So congratulations to Sean Miller. Did they jump, dump the water jug on him at the end? Or right. was that just him? Was that all him? That was uh, the team dumped all the water on him. I oh, mean, okay. some have said it was sweat. Some have said it actually wasn't water. It was just, his normal sweat, but he was drenched. And this time, you know, it, it was all water. It was victory, victory. Water. Right. And and Sean Miller, he's been a little bit strange, almost like standoffish upon his return. But today after the game, it felt like he kind of, his shoulders are tense, Kyle. You know, he looks like he's a little wound up. He needs a massage. And it felt like after this game, he got to, you know, enjoy himself a little bit. It felt <laughs> like he got to relax, even if it's for a slight moment. Um, look, Sean Miller, I think he's a good basketball coach. He's also He's almost like Forrest Gump of college basketball. I don't know if you know this, Kyle, but they had, you know, the footage that came out today during the broadcast. He went on the Carson show, Johnny Carson, Johnny Carson show back in the day. And he had like the Tiger Woods moment. You know, remember Tiger Woods went and he made the putt when he was like three years old. Well, yeah. Sean Miller, I guess, as a kid went on the Johnny Carson show and did like a, a pistol Pete impersonation where he was like dribbling the ball between his legs what and the spinning the ball on his hand. And, you know, Johnny Carson was doing it with him and Ed man was laughing and he was like, you got it. You can. You are correct, sir. You know, doing the whole thing. Okay. And then from there, right, that's not the only thing that Sean Miller has done. Sean Miller also, um, you know, one of the famous, most famous calls in college basketball, of course, is send it in Jerome, Bill Raftery. And uh, that was, of course, Pittsburgh. And guess who threw the assist to Jerome Lane, who threw it down? Don't tell me. Sean Miller. Jeez. Yeah, you, you guessed it right. So anyways, I say all that to say Sean Miller is a uh, a staple in college basketball. He's a five-star guy, so I have a, a soft spot in my heart for him. And uh, he's oh, I'm looking at him doing it right now. Yeah, you're seeing it. Look, doesn't he look like Pistol Pete? <laughs> he's got the it, legs going. You know the Red Hour back video? Yeah, it literally, he does the Pistol Pete between yes. the legs bounce pass. Awesome. Oh, yeah, I mean... Look at this footage. This is amazing. This is Sean Miller. Uh, this is what I was saying. He's the Forrest Gump of college basketball. He's okay. a lovable guy. He's been um, everywhere. <laughs> and Johnny Carson is the best. I mean, if you don't love Johnny Carson, no matter what age you are, you can go back and watch clips of Johnny Carson, and he just delivers. We don't know why Johnny's the best, but Johnny's just the best. He makes everybody laugh, makes them feel comfortable, makes them feel like a star, and he did that to Sean Miller back in the day, and it led to Sean Miller being one of the best coaches in college basketball. So there you go. There you go. That was the first game of the day. Moving on, we had the Wildcats showdown. Yesterday, we had the Tigers, of course, going at it, Missouri and Princeton. Today, we had Kansas State, three seed, taking on the Kentucky Wildcats. And in this game, when it started, Kentucky, they look great. I mean, they, they should have been up by more than 10 points, but they dominate early. And one of the, the moments in this game that gave me a little bit of pause before, before Kansas State started to make a run was uh, there was a little interview. They go to Jerome Tang, head coach of Kansas State, and he's got a great pullover on Kyle. He's got the yeah, I noticed that. He's First got the Wildcat. Yeah, I mean the the, the, the great logo. And uh, they asked Jerome Tang, they're like, "What's going on with your guys?" He's like, "We're not panicked. We're just taking bad shots. If we stop taking bad shots, start driving to the rim, we're going to be fine." And uh, from there, his point guard. Marquise Noel, um, I have a hard time with his name because I, I had a kid in my school. His name was Tyler Now, and he spelled it the exact same way. So every time that I see his name, I want to say Now, but it's Noel, Marquise Noel. He goes for 27 points, nine assists, and 
it was a clinic at the end of this first half. I mean, the guy's throwing behind-the-back passes to Keontae Johnson on the break for, for big slams. He's throwing full skip passes, no look to the corner for threes. I mean, it was something, you know, literally out of a textbook as to how you want to play the point guard position. So much so that at halftime, Kenny Smith, Kenny the Jet Smith was going insane, showing his highlights. And, uh, you know, the guards, the point guards in general, it's a very tight-knit fraternity. They have a lot of uh, rules, unwritten rules. It's very much like baseball. And for Kenny the Jet Smith and the rest of the point guards, like I saw Rod Strickland tweeting about it, Pooh Jetter, for, for all these point guards to be pointing out how great he is and and bringing up comparisons to like Damon Stoudemire. That's who Kenny the Jet brought up. I mean, that was something. And in this game, oddly enough, I mean, Noel was the difference because UK, they kind of just don't have a true point guard. Severe Wheeler was a guy they brought from Georgia um, that led the SEC in assists, but he's been out, um, you know, at the end of this year. And in this game, Kaysen Wallace, who is basically their de facto point guard, a really good player, probably one of their best, if not the best prospect on this team. He goes down and Oscar Sheboy's knee actually hits him in the head in this game. And, you know, that's that's nothing that you ever want to see a teammate on teammate crime there. But from there, it felt like Wallace was a little bit out of it. He bounced back a little bit in the second half. But um, for whatever reason, Kentucky just could not get it together. And this was a, you know, Kyle Mann, I saw him. He, he was stuck at the airport during this game, by the way. Kyle Mann was, you know, having to watch this game while looking at a delayed flight. Trying not to scream in the airport. Bar. Oh, man, I, I can only imagine what that was like. Uh, we want to pour, you know, we feel for Kyle Mann. We want to pour one out for him. I know that was not the way you want to spend a, an NCAA tournament game, especially when it's such a vintage Calipari loss in the NCAA tournament where it felt like they should have been up by more. It felt like they could have stretched the lead. They let Kansas State hang around, and then all of a sudden, it was a Marquise Noel, you know, absolute show, and they just took over. One of my favorite plays from this game is on an inbounds play late. Kansas State runs like a a, a bubble screen, basically. They, they they sent like guys to go block for for their man to get the uh, the get the inbound in. So that was something to to keep an eye on, uh, something to watch, something to behold, all the things. Some people were saying this was the game of the tournament. It was a very good game. But, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't have that same feeling. Maybe, you know, maybe that's my own blue blood bias. But when I left this game, the two thoughts, the big takeaways I had, one, what a good dodge by Kyle Mann. Because Kyle Mann, I mean, we love Dodgers in the game of college basketball. We saw a lot of it, you know, during the COVID season. A lot of teams trying to dodge each other. But Kyle Mann, he dodged having to come on this podcast and, you know, face the music, talk about Kentucky after a loss. Smart man, smart play, smarter than I even thought he was. I knew he was a smart guy, but he might be smarter than uh, even I gave him credit for. So he got out of the way, got out of Dodge. Speaking of getting out of Dodge, we got to have questions about Coach Calipari because we got three straight tournaments that have not gone his way, especially with the way this game, it, it left a bad taste in your mouth. For Kentucky fans... They're just sitting around. They're stewing right now. And uh, this this game also confirmed that North Carolina maintains the most NCAA tournament wins ever. So if K if Kentucky had won this game, Kyle, uh, North Carolina and Kentucky would both have 131 tournament wins. Right now, it's 131 to 130. So Kentucky fans are upset about that. They also have a situation where, you know, there's questions about roster construction with, Ky with, with Coach Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Careful. Coach Kyle would be a great coach uh, with Coach Cal. Um, and you know, 
this is all going to be a, a larger conversation with, you know, the AD who apparently doesn't like Cal as much. There was, you know, some problems with Mark Stoops, the football coach at Kentucky, talking about, you know, Cal was saying it was a football school. And look, there's just a lot of drama with this team. I think it's the buyout is still big. I think it's still 52 million. But every single year, the buyout goes down by 5 million. Um, that's the way the contract is written. Also, Cal, apparently as long as he is alive, again, this is a lifetime contract, he will get paid a million dollars out um, as some sort of like legacy deal. So anyways, there's a lot of money at play here with Kentucky and what the future looks like. I think the future may end up being more murky than many want to admit, or, or maybe, you know, the Kentucky fans do want to talk about it. They do want to admit it. Um, we, there was a sign, uh, you know, at a Kentucky game this year that people probably forgot, but it was uh, a guy brought a sign that was like, Cal to Texas, please go to Texas, Coach Cal. So and it turned out people said he wasn't an actual UK fan. But look, th there's a lot of smoke. And where there's smoke, there might be fire. And I just want to say two words when it comes to Kentucky and the future and what might happen. Scott Drew. Scott Drew is someone to keep an eye on. Um, I know Scott Drew played today. The Baylor Bears played today. We can talk about him a little bit later. But I think Kentucky, you know, these are just the, the immediate fallout. Obviously, you want to think about Sheboy. Jacob Toppin did not have a great game today, but... Thoughts with Toppin. I mean, he, he's a player that I enjoyed watching at Kentucky. Thought he had a great commercial. So you hate to miss out on that part of it. But I keep coming back to what does the future look like for Kentucky as a blue blood? And there's a coach out there that might be the best coach as far as like a program builder. And that's Scott Drew. And he uh, is a guy that I feel like is keen on going to a blue blood. So all that to say, Kentucky, there's a lot to talk about in the offseason. That's good content for us, Kyle. We got a lot of time to talk about Cal's guys and if they're kids. And, uh, you know, he's got a great recruiting class coming in. So, you know, you got Robert Dillingham. You got DJ Wagner. You got a lot of storylines uh, in Camelot, and that's good news for us. So leave that there. We'll put a pin in that. There you go. Kentucky loses. Kansas State moves on. Jerome Tang is making everyone believe in his Coach of the Year candidacy at this point. And I can't argue it. I never could argue it, never wanted to argue it, but uh, it's confirmed. And uh, Keontae Johnson's another guy. His story, one of the best stories in the NCAA tournament and in college basketball at large. So, you know, if you're not, if you don't have a team to root for, I feel like Kansas State might be a fun team to jump on the bandwagon just because of the circumstances of their team. They were picked to finish last in the Big 12, and now they're in the Sweet 16. So that's great. Cool for Kansas State. They've won two of the past three games they've had uh, against Kentucky. So that's all good things for the Wildcats. Maybe they are officially the Wildcats. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, no. No, I'm kidding. Sorry, Kentucky fans. I know that was mean. That was mean. All right, let's move on. Uh, we got Tom Izzo, a.k.a. Mr. March going up against Shaka Smart, who I was hoping would have a chance to maybe take that crown of Mr. March and move forward. Um, but people forget Tom Izzo is 23-7 and seven, uh, on one day rest in the NCAA tournament, and he does it again, folks, because the Spartans' physicality, they just shook Marquette from the start. I mean, Marquette got a steal on the first play from A.J. Hogard. They go down, they get a layup. I say, okay, well, that pressing style, that's going to be the difference in this game. And then from there, it was basically all Michigan State. Um, they just, you know, they got two early fouls on Tyler Kolick, the biggest player of the years, uh, the biggest player of the year. And Kolick um, and Marquette just felt like they were out of sorts from the start. 
They got out in the second half. Uh, Prosper hit a couple of threes. They got up 34 to 33. They were down five at the half, and they actually did a good job to cut it to five. But Michigan State just continued um, to weather the storm. Tyson Walker was kind of the answer for the Spartans all game. Their point guard, 23 points in this game. Uh, a guy that just, you know, Tom Izzo has a couple players that he loves putting his arm around, and he is one of those guys, Tyson Walker. And we all have to remember the old adage, when Izzo has a team that's quote-unquote not that talented, that is when he's going to the Final Four. That is when Tom Izzo is going to make a run. It's not when he's got Miles Bridges or Jaron Jackson or any of these guys, you know, or even if Amani Bates had come. It's when you you least expect it. It's when Joey Hauser is the guy that's supposed to do it that he actually does it. This is the 15th Sweet 16 for Tom Izzo. They win this game. They win the race to 69, actually, 69 to 60. Um, you know, I have to remind, you know, all the haters at home, I did have Michigan State in my other bracket. Um <laughs> I know a lot of people want to point out the brackets. I just have to, I had to say that Kyle just had to get that off my chest. I didn't, I didn't put that bracket out, but uh, people, people forget that Uh, Michigan state ended the game on a 13 to five run. They just looked like the the more veteran squad. They looked like the team that belonged. Um, And, you know, I felt bad for Shaka Smart. I felt bad for this Marquette team, but Tyler Kolick just, you know, he did not have it today. This is not the Tyler Kolick we've seen all season for Marquette. This was not the Iguodaro that we've seen all season for Marquette. They just just got absolutely physically outmanned in this game, outmatched in this game. And I got to pick, this is a Big Ten stat of the night for everyone that's listening right now. So the last two East Regionals were that were at MSG resulted in a number seven seed coming out of the regional, a.k.a. folks, we are in the Izzo zone because uh, number seven, Michigan State, they are going to Madison Square Garden. And based on that Big Ten stat of the night right there, it looks like they might be going to a Final Four, and uh, that would be good news for the Big Ten because Michigan State and Tom Izzo, they're the only Big Ten team left in the tournament, um, and Tom Izzo does what Tom Izzo does, and uh, he keeps the Big Ten alive, keeps them afloat. And uh, if you're a gambling fan, this was from Evan Abrams. Uh, he tweeted this out. This is something that I thought was a little bit shocking, and it's about Shaka Smart. Shaka Smart is 793 out of 795 coaches against the spread as a favorite since 2005. So if uh, Shaka Smart is the favorite and uh, he's going up against, you know, a, a team that you may like, that was the time to bet it because uh, Shaka Smart, yet again, Vegas does not love Shaka Smart because of that stat. I mean, there's some there's some good coaches that are around him, like Jamie Dixon and Mike Bray, but... I thought that was pretty damning stuff. There's a lot of questions about Shaka Smart in March. Uh, We all remember the VCU run, but since then he has struggled against uh, higher seeds and today was no different. It was a tough matchup. Whenever you go up against, like I said, whenever you go against Izzo on one day rest, he is able to do some magical things and uh, he does it yet again. And Michigan State, they march on to the Sweet 16 and uh, congratulations to Mr. March. He does it again. All right, let's keep it moving. The 5-4 game that we have uh, in the West, we had St. Mary's, Randy Bennett squad going up against Dan Hurley and UConn. And this was the Adama Sonogo dominant performance. I think the Huskies, I mean, when they can play inside out, they're one of the toughest teams to match up against because of their bigs with Sonogo and with Klingon. And this is UConn's first Sweet 16 since 2014. And guess what happened that year, everybody? Yes, that's right. They won the title in 2014 with Shabazz Napier. So that's something to mark if you, uh, you know, like some signposting. But 
the real story to me about this team is the second half. They are the second half Huskies. That is their moniker. That is who they are. They have outscored their their they have outscored the first two opponents by a total of forty points um, so far in the tournament. So that's something um, to keep an eye on with UConn. Even if they're struggling in the first half to find their footing, they seem to just continue to wear teams out with their depth. That is one thing that you really like about this group. That was something that early in the year when they were blowing out teams like Florida, people were saying, "Wow, the depth of this group." I mean, unbelievable. Um, Dan Hurley's passed the test, by the way. I know before the tournament, I pointed about the master versus the student with Rick Pitino and Randy Bennett, and he goes up against two very, very good coaches and his team with Jordan Hawkins, who is just shooting, you know, off the dribble, spot ups, whatever it may be. He's just knocking down shots for this team. Um, he's been great. Dan Hurley's done a good job keeping his composure. Um, he had a couple of times in this game where, you know, he told the crowd to get loud, which is you know, that's expected, you know, for Dan Hurley. And, uh, you know, we're happy to see him move on. We got three Big East teams, by the way, in the Sweet 16. And there's one more note I wanted uh, to go back on with uh, Sonogo. So Sonogo is from Mali, which is a Western African country. And in this tournament right now, we have Adama Sonogo in the Sweet 16. He's from Mali. We have Sissoko from Michigan State. I just talked about them. He is also from Mali. And then the third big from Mali that I was really excited about in this tournament was was uh, Umar Balo um, from Arizona. And uh, I thought all three of those guys were going to be in the Sweet 16, Kyle. That's why I, I was so high on Arizona. I was I was high on the Mali Bigs. I love the Maui teams and I love the Mali Bigs. Um, and two of the three are in the Sweet 16, so that's cool. Um, I'm excited to see what UConn can do. It's going to be a, a, a interesting matchup um, with Arkansas. There's going to be a lot of talent in that game. So it's going to be a fun game. Randy Bennett, um, St. Mary's, they make it to the second round again. Um, Back-to-back years of doing that, but they just were outmatched in this game. It it hurt to watch a little bit. I didn't like that Randy Bennett was pressing so late in the game, especially when UConn, I think Dan Hurley's kid was out out there playing, and uh, St. Mary's was still pressing, even though though they were down by a lot. But that's neither here nor there. Congratulations to St. Mary's. They had a good year. I hated seeing uh, Dukas uh, deal with an injury. Mahaney played a little bit better today, but wasn't his best performance. I'm excited to see what he looks like. Um, moving forward in the next few years. But there you go. UConn moves on. They're in the Sweet 16. Congratulations to the Huskies. Congratulations to Luke Murray. Congratulations to Bill Murray. All good things. Um, The next game on the docket was Creighton, the Blue Jays, taking on the Baylor Bears. Yep, there you go. The Blue Jays officially, uh, this is on the record, folks. I've been saying it all year. They're they're officially the best 12-loss team in the country. You can can stamp that. That's official. Um, This game was the Ryan Nimhard game, by the way. 30 points, a career high. And um, look, this is the second time in three years Greg McDermott has gotten to the Sweet 16. And this team, they lost six straight at one point. They were nine and eight, you know, at the start of the season. And a lot of people at the time were writing this team off. And I kept saying, the Miami Heat, Kyle, the big three, they started out nine and eight. What'd they do? They won two championships. So people forget. Um, Here we are, the Creighton Blue Jays. They get to the Sweet 16 and... uh, You know, Baylor had a hot start to the second half. I think they made five out of their first six shots. But Creighton just continued to keep them at bay. They continued to to make smart plays, to milk possessions. And uh, they're they're just a really good team. I personally think that they're the best starting five in the country. Um, Anybody can really go off for them. Kalkbrenner was the guy that went off in the first game against NC State. Again, Nimhard goes for 30 in this game. So any one of those starting five can really get hot. And I still personally 
uh, have an affinity for Baylor Shireman. I think Baylor Shireman, I mean, he had some big shots late in this game to, like I said, keep Baylor at bay. I think he's someone that is going to be uh, a big piece for them as they move forward. For Scott Drew and for Baylor, back-to-back years where they lose in the second round, um, coming off the 2021 championship. I wonder, I just wonder if a blue blood was uh, in the ear of Scott Drew, maybe trying to get him you know, to come play pickleball in Lexington sometime this summer. I don't know. There's some questions to be asked there, but we'll leave that. We'll leave that for now. Uh, there was one other thing that I wanted to point out: the altitude um, in Denver was something that the Baylor players were dealing with. They they had oxygen on the sidelines, so I thought that was a little bit fascinating um, and a nice little um, you know wrinkle to let you know that all these regionals are different and teams are dealing with different things. And there's all kind of X factors, and one of the X factors is literally the air. The, the literal altitude. Guys so. will tell you, Denver. I mean, even whether you're playing basketball or drinking, guys will blame the will blame the air, that's for sure. Yeah, and Greg McDermott was saying that, you know, he was really happy that he has such a conditioned group. He was like, our guys were able to handle the altitude. Not to say, I mean, Baylor's probably one of the best conditioned teams in the country, but, you know, Greg McDermott after the game pointed that out with his group. So, shout out to the Blue Jays. I think they're a really solid team. I think they're better than a six seed. They're another Big East team in the Sweet 16. They take care of Baylor. They move on. The next game, the 16 seed, FDU, FDU, FDU. Well, they're taking on FAU, the nine seed. This is a game that nobody had in their brackets. Nobody <laughs> expected, uh, myself included, and and you too. I know you're at home and you might think you're a genius, but no one thought that the 16 seed Knights would be here against the Owls. And um, look, no 16 seed has ever made the Sweet 16. This was a day that could have been history. FDU gave a great performance for Tobin Anderson. They fought. They scratched, they clawed. Um, FAU was just kind of the better version of FDU, to be honest with you. They just had better athletes at each position. They played a very similar style. So it was just a tough matchup for Tobin Anderson's squad. But regardless, they played a very competitive game. But John L. Davis uh, became, for FAU, became the first player with 25 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, and five steals in NCAA tournament history. Um, so... That was something. That, that was something to behold. Good for him. Um, he's from Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana. And Gary, Indiana is one of those places, one of those cities in America that is kind of, you know, I don't know what the right word is. They're just, it's just somehow we all know someone from Gary, Indiana. I don't know how that works, but you know, whether it's Michael Jackson, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many guys, even a North Carolina player, Jalen Washington's from Gary, Indiana. So John L. Davis, shout out to Gary, Indiana. Um, shout out to the effort from FAU and also Dusty May, their coach. We got a nice little tidbit. He was an Indiana manager for Bob Knight back in the day. Um, I thought that was pretty cool to get that story. Dusty May, cool, calm, collected, made things happen for his owl team, a team that was in the AP top 25. People forget. And there were only two Florida teams in the tournament and both of them are in the sweet 16. And speaking of the Miami hurricanes, coach Laranega. Um, he said they were, quote, too, quote, unquote, too hard to guard. Um, and he was correct against Indiana in this game. Isaiah Wong has the best game that we've seen from quite from him in, in quite some time, in my opinion. 27 points from him. Hit a big logo three late in the second half. Indiana, uh, they tried to fight back. You know, shout out to Trace Jackson Davis, uh, a Hoosier legend. He did his best. Had five blocks in this game. You know, tried to get his team to rally a little bit. But Norchad O'Meer was awesome. Miami out-rebounded the Hoosiers 47-30. to 30. Um, I mean, Jalen Hood-Shafino got hot late, tried to hit some threes to keep them in the game, to keep a little bit of hope alive. But in general, just Miami was better. 
they 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 scratched and they fought and uh this was a high high level basketball game both these teams in my opinion look too good to be playing in the second round um but look only one team can leave only one team can win and one ACC team makes it to the Sweet 16. Um, one Big Ten team is in the Sweet 16. It will not be Indiana. It will be Tom Izzo and Michigan State, and it will be the Miami Hurricanes. So there you go. Big win for Miami. I'm excited to see what they can do moving forward. They play Houston and the Sweet 16 in that 1-5 game. So that'll be fun. Um, Coach Laranega, like I said, one of the best coaches in the tournament. So um, good matchup, great players. Good to see Omir healthy. Um, and then the final game of the day, number six TCU taking on Gonzaga. We had Drew Timmy. We had Mike Miles Jr. This was a showdown between the two stars, and they both scored 20-plus points. They both showed up in the big moments. They both had their own moments. Um, Kyle was very excited to see Drew Timmy is still playing college basketball and still stroking his mustache just like it's 2020. Right, Kyle? That was fun. really something. Yeah, it's really something. And he's around, and he's still doing it, and it's still working. And uh, Rasir Bolton. Um, is a guy who is now on your list, correct? He's one of Kyle's men? 100%. Okay, 100%. he's locked in, hit some big threes in this game. I, I like the way Gonzaga responded. They kind of slept walk the first half. Felt like this almost was, uh, you know, it felt similar last year to what TCU did to Arizona, Tommy Lloyd's team, where TCU kind of shocked them. Um, you know, their physicality was a lot at first, but... Gonzaga weathers the storm. That is the theme of this tournament. The Zags are 25-1 and one when leading with five minutes to go. They were up in this game with five minutes to go. Make that 26-1 and one officially. They get it done. They get a win. Mark Few, Gonzaga, back in the Sweet 16. And guess what? They're matched up with UCLA. Gonzaga-UCLA is always uh, a fun game in the NCAA tournament. Always has, you know, a lot of implications. There's a lot of history. We all remember the Adam Morrison game. We all remember the Jalen Suggs shot. So. I'm excited about that uh, about that moving forward with Mark Few and Mick Cronin. Those are two guys that have a lot of fun coaching against each other. All right. Well, there you go. Those are all the games of the day. A lot of fun. Um, a lot of big moments. Um, you know, a lot of storylines, of course. And uh, look, before we get to, to the end of the show and we start previewing what it's going to look like in the next round and do the shout outs and stuff. I have a very special guest coming up. His name is Michael Lombardi. We did a podcast together for two and a half years for The Ringer. It was called GM Street. Some of the best formative moments of my career. He helped with the way I did shows. He helped with my confidence as a human being. He, you know, kind of adopted me into his family. I love the Lombardi family. My family loves the Lombardi family. So I'm very excited to have him on the show. I had to have him because New Jersey basketball is doing so well. Uh, We talked before the FDU game. So, we got into some stuff that's maybe a little bit dated now because FDU obviously lost, but they competed. Um, and they're still a good sign for New Jersey moving forward because, again, they beat a one seed. We, we'll talk about all that. But coming up right now, it is the man himself, the myth himself, the legend himself, Mr. Mike Lombardi. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, joining us now is my former GM Street co-host. He is what I would like to call my godfather in the media game. He (laughs) takes care of me behind the scenes. He, of course, is the great Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, it's great to see you. 
It's great to see you, Tate Fraser. I was saying to you before we came on camera, you look like Kramer hosting the Merv Griffin <laughs> show on Seinfeld there. I actually you sleep know? here, Lombardi. We're, this we're is where I am. Camera. I'm at the studio 24-7. It's March Madness. This is what I yeah, do now. Yeah, I can. Uh, I bet somebody, you better clean it up on my show, mister. You know, like, so <laughs> it looks good. It really looks good. Great looking set there. It's better than what we had when the street was going. I was going to say, uh, you know, we were back at the ringer a long time ago, back when, uh, you know, we were fighting for studio space and they've moved up <laughs> in the world, Lombardi. I, uh, I'm i in a state of the art studio. We got producer Kyle over there. We got cameras. We got lights. We got, I'm even uh, dressed uh, up now. I'm a grown up. You got the jacket on. I love it. You got the Carolina blue, which looks perfect on you naturally. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's good. Hello, cousin Kyle. It's nice to hear from you again. <laughs> yeah. We got the whole family, got the whole band back together. Um, you know, unfortunately for the listeners at home, we're not going to be talking about, you know, NFL football. That's probably what most people would expect when they hear the name Michael Lombardi. But when I hear the name like Michael Lombardi, I think of New Jersey. That is, that is one place I think of. <laughs> we're dominating. <laughs> We're dominating. Like, get out of our way. Like, we own basketball. Like, That's, we own it. I mean, college hoops has got to go through the Garden Parkway, Garden State Parkway. Right. So, shout out to Ocean City, New Jersey. Right now, Lombardi, you are in Vegas. You are not in Ocean City, but you are a man that has taught me a lot about New Jersey. You taught me about principles of New Jersey. Obviously, once we started doing our show together, I started re-watching The Sopranos so I could be up on what was happening in the world of New Jersey citizens and residents. And kind of, I had to learn the Bible, so to speak. You know what I mean? Sure. I had I had to learn yeah. what was going on, and uh, it made me think. As I, I we're going to talk about all specifically the New Jersey teams, but I wanted to ask you before we get into that, which New Jersey school or basketball program is kind of the Tony Soprano of New Jersey? I would, I would assume Rutgers. Well, yeah, you know, but Rutgers has never been very good in basketball. Like, right. you know, they were good. They had some moments this year where you thought they were defensively they could, but they they never were. I, I would say there was a time when Seton Hall was really the good. Mm. Like Seton Hall Pirates were good and maybe they'll be the Tony Soprano of coming back. But, you know, to be honest with you, Princeton under Petey, the great Petey Carell, you know, they've always had a tournament upset. Yeah, I didn't realize. I mean, can you imagine in Missouri, you know, you realize that eight teams beat beat uh, beat Princeton and you got blown out by them. I right. Mean, Thurston Howe's team at Yale beat them twice this year. I mean, come on. So I think the dominant college team is during my time growing up, when this is ages ago, it was Seton Hall. Seton Hall was good. They could get a lot of players from the city. You know, like today, that kid from Kansas State, the point guard, like how is he in Manhattan, Kansas? Marquise Noel, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I love watching that kid play. He was great. You know, he's down there at Little Rock in Arkansas. The next thing I know, he's, you know, he he, he makes Kansas State really elite with the way they play. Yeah, he's one of the best guards in the entire tournament at this point. And today he was kind of toying around with Kentucky at times. And it was ironic because Kentucky, you know, as we know with John Calipari teams, you know, Derrick Rose, right? John Wall. This is a guy that's been able to get great point guards, even a Tyler Eulis, who's on the bench now as a coach. And you go into this game and it's, they don't even have a point guard out there, right? Case and Wallace is the closest thing to a point guard they had. Yeah. I mean, they haven't made the sweet 16 since 19. I mean, you know, and they've got all these five stars and all that, but you know, it's funny when you watch the tournament, it's like the NFL draft. Everybody, when they watch the Super Bowl, everybody says, well, you got to have offensive and defensive alignment to get to the Super Bowl, right? 
And then as soon as the Super Bowl's over, everybody starts talking about how many receivers are we going to draft? <laughs> you know? And it's the same thing with the tournament. Like everybody talks about, you got to have good guard play to win in the tournament, right? And then everybody that forgets about getting a good... Here's everybody wants wings. Everybody wants the next everybody LeBron James. Yeah. yeah, everybody wants... So it's kind of ironic. And when you have a good point, you know, like, you know, look, my man Musk was able to find a way to win. I'm not sure he has a great point. Davis was great. I Sometimes I I, I wonder if they would have had the, that kid on their team to kind of, as Al Davis would say, organize everything with all these players around them. They might even be better. But give Kansas State credit for recruiting that kid out of Little Rock. Yeah, and Jerome Tang is one of those coaches that, you know, he was talked about as a coach of the year candidate. There's been a lot of names that have been thrown out there, whether it's Matt Painter or Shaka Smart. but it keeps coming back Jerome Tang. I mean, he when he went to Kansas State, they had two players on the roster. He had to build, build an entire team. He had to go find all these guys, identify these players, then get them to play together. And they look like one of the most cohesive, connected groups in all the country. I mean, I, I literally had a stop today watching the game, and I went and looked up his bio. The guy's a lifetime assistant. You know, and I mean, the guy said never had a head coaching job. He's been at Baylor for 120 years. Right. I mean, you know, he's probably even went to the long. I mean, in Waco, they have a long John Silvers. Like when you got a long John <laughs> Silvers in your town, you know, something's up. Right. Like it's like there's not many of them around. I mean, like this guy was in Baylor since I think 06. Mm-hmm. He's been there. So he, obviously he knows how to recruit more than anything. I think he knows how to build a team and he gets it. That team's good now. I mean, they, they they took Kentucky's best blows to start the game. And then that second half, what was it, a 9-0 run, 11-0 run to start the second half? They, they were amazing. They yeah. were great. I, I, I love those kind of stories, Tate Frazier, because to me it's about – it's the art of building a team that's so damn good. It's so much fun to watch, you know, like all these teams that get five stars, right? You know, it's hard to develop five stars. They don't want to be coached. They yeah, we talked ready. about this with Mac Brown over the years. You and I would always make that joke about, you know, you look at the class, you got, you know, 12 five stars are coming in. And then by the end of their run, two of them are on the roster, you know, by yeah. the end of it. Right. Exactly. And, and that's happening in college basketball. It really, and I think this is why Jay, Jay Wright quit. You have to develop the players. And if the players don't want to get developed, it's hard. Yeah. And especially when there's this, you know, you almost have to preserve your, your draft status, right? Guys don't want to have too much tape because too much tape exposes you. So they want to have <laughs> as little, as, as little tape as possible, but enough tape so the NBA teams want them and salivate and look at the potential. It's a very fine line. One of the guys who did it perfectly, you know, in this new iteration was Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr., he just kept, he got enough tape out there and then just stayed away from it for the rest of the time. And then the yeah. Denver Nuggets said, you know what? We like this kid. We'll take him in the lottery. Yeah. And, uh, it, 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 even though we don't play any defense at all, <laughs> we like him. We'll take him, right? Yeah, you know? right. I mean, that's great. You know, I, I, I give him credit. Like that's, But that's a hard way to make a, like, that's a hard way to coach. Like to me, I, I would have, a, like, I think what Randy Bennett does at St. Mary's is probably got more of a sustainable ability. You know, he's going to try to get your Australian kids, foreign kids, and then he's able to kind of keep them together. Look, the other thing we learn about the tournament is the older you are, the better your team is, mm-hmm. right? Right. I mean, that's pretty clear. Like yesterday, Tennessee, they were so physical against Duke that there was a there was a men among boys. Really, when you watch the game, the physicality of Tennessee because of their age was such a difference. Yeah, and this is the the oldest tournament ever by statistics, by age. I mean, you got guys that are 26, 27 years old that, you know, back in your day, Lombardi, right? These are the guys in the NBA that are entering their prime at 26, yeah. 27. Michael Jordan wins his first title at 27. Now you can win the national championship at 27. It's amazing, right? Yeah. But it, it's funny, though. That's why... 
I think it's such a because of the dilution of talent, and there's so much there. There's so many guys that have gone to the NBA and all that that the that I think this is why anybody can win it. I really do. I I don't know if I see a team that I say, wow, that's dominant. Now maybe Gonzaga will play that way today. UConn was struggling with St. Mary's before I came on here, so. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But I want to talk about a team that is near and dear to the hearts of all New Jersey people right now. I feel like, you know, I asked you who's Tony Soprano. They might not be Tony Soprano, but they might be, you know, AJ. There's someone in the Soprano family because they are adored. They are beloved. And that's the Princeton Tigers. The Princeton Tigers with Mitch Henderson. They get to their first Sweet 16 since 1967. Bill Bradley took him to the Final Four back in 1965. Whenever you're bringing up the 1960s and Princeton basketball and, you know, people brought up 1996, right? Pete Carrill, that team that beat UCLA coming off the 95 title. Princeton's had these great moments in basketball history, but now in modern times, they get to the Sweet 16 and they look like they're not done yet. I mean, they're, they're a very good basketball team. They're not afraid of anybody. I saw them earlier in the year at the Asheville Championship. They finished in second. They lost to Louisiana in the championship game. But Mitch Henderson, you know, at the end, he was like, I like our team. I, I like our guys. I think we can make a run. And I feel like they're showing it to the world right now. You know, it's really remarkable. They they are. I mean, you know, in Jersey, I don't know if they still do it, but used to play the like I remember being in high school. We went, we our our team made it to the state championship, and they played them at Jadwin Gym there at, on Princeton's campus, which is where they play. You know, and and people would always go to see Petey Corral to go learn about the Princeton offense and all those things. And you know, the Ivy Le- the Ivy League when I was growing up, because of the Big Five's dominance, Penn was in the Big Five. Penn was another team that was like you know could get there. So it just shows you that that college basketball, especially at Princeton where they can keep kids for four years, they're going to grow and develop them. And you know, they they get really good players. I mean, they are they are the team that. I went and looked at them. I mean, they lost eight games. They lost. They lost to my alma mater, Hofstra. Like seriously, I know Speedy Claxton's done a good job there, but you know, they lost eight games. So it's remarkable. I'll tell you this, though, Tate Frazier. In both games, they were in control of from the start to the end. They were in control of both games. Yeah, they dictated the pace. They made Arizona play. You know, the opposite of what they wanted to play. They wanted some pace. They wanted to pick up. They they wanted to speed the game up. Princeton said that's not going to happen on our watch. And then they play Missouri. Missouri is a team that likes turnovers. They like to get out in transition. That's their primary way to score. And once again, Princeton says, we're going to possess the ball. We're not going to turn the ball over. We're going to take you out of your game. And that's why I think there's some confidence, right? There's some belief that maybe, you know, whoever wins the Creighton-Baylor game, that's coming up later tonight. But whoever they draw, that's not an easy draw for Creighton or Baylor to go play Princeton. No, I don't think it is. And especially, you know, like, look, in this single elimination tournament, all it takes is one good shooting night and you can get into it. I mean, look, Arkansas played probably, what, 30 bad minutes in the last 10 minutes is when they played really good against Kansas. So, you know, these games, the first half doesn't really matter. It's really about the last seven minutes of the game. Do you have guys who are going to make plays, are going to be able to score and and want the ball. You and know, we, all these some guys that they don't want the ball in the last seven minutes of the game. And we saw it last year with St. Peter's, another New Jersey school with Shaheen Holloway, and who's now at Seton Hall, right? It all connects in the New Jersey world. But you know, that team goes to the Elite Eight and they just had guys, Doug Eddard, right? Guys that just made plays down the stretch and made winning plays and, and they yeah. played like a team. They played connected. They kind of took the world by storm. And now we see another team in New Jersey this year that makes history, the second 16 seed to beat a one seed, a.k.a. FDU Believe It, right? They knock out Purdue. Matt Painter is 
you know, a coach that we all adore in this country that we say is one of the best coaches. But Tobin Anderson says before the game, I like what we see on tape. And then they go up and they play Goliath as David and they get the win. So it's another feather in the cap for New Jersey. You know, I, I think to me, it, it, it proves a point. Mark Twain has a great saying, <laughs> and, and, he, and he said this. He says, the greatest swordsman in the world never fears the second best swordsman. He always fears the unconventional swordsman. Mm. And I think Fairley Dickinson, uh, with no guy over 6'4 on the team, is the unconventional swordsman. They play. You know, when Petey Corral started, if you read any of the books on Petey Corral on how he kind of developed the offense, he wanted – he didn't want to be conventional. He didn't want a five. He didn't want a four. He didn't want a three, a two, and a one. He wanted all everybody that could dribble the ball and shoot. Yep. And he didn't care about anything. And dribble, so, shoot, and pass. If we can all do that, we'll be good. We'll be good. Exactly. And and that's what Fairley Dickinson is, is dribble, shoot. I mean, it's kind of a New Jersey trademark. It's a little bit like the diners in New Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> we should do it. We should trademark it. I mean, you know, when Tony Soprano goes down to get the newspaper, it should have read dribble, shoot, and pass. That's what it should have said. And it's cool because, you know, Tobin Anderson, he comes from a D2 school, St. Thomas Aquinas, and he brings three guys with him. And then those three <laughs> guys are the leading scorers against the number one seed, Purdue. And they end up getting this major win. And this is something that, you know, this is forever. When you're a 16 seed that beats a one seed, we're going to be talking about Fairleigh Dickinson for the for the rest of time as long as March Madness continues. Oh, and there's no doubt. I mean, we're still talking about Maryland, Baltimore beating Virginia, right? Right. I mean, like, I'm still I, talking you know. about Chaminade and Ralph Sampson, and I wasn't even alive <laughs> when it happened, Lombardi. <laughs> yeah. And you may just mention St. Thomas the Greatest. The only thing I know about that school, uh, seriously, is that Miami Dolphins used to train there. Like, right. that's the only thing I know about. And yet he goes up and gets that job, and credit to him. I mean, you know, look, he he fronted the big fella for Purdue. Nobody was doing that before. It made it hard for the offense to go through it. I, I give the guy credit. There is strategy. I think the coaching matters in this thing. I really do. Yeah. You know, like like I don't think I think Calvin Sampson's a great coach. I I, I mean, I know he, everybody thinks he's a recruiter, but like the adjustments he makes. I mean, Auburn. You know, I didn't anticipate they were going to only shoot and make two baskets in the second half. But my lord, did they do? You know, he did a great job of adjusting the game and. And, and and that game goes from Auburn up by 10 to losing by what, 17? Yeah. And I mean, Houston looked like a totally different team in the second half. There was another game and another coaching decision that that kind of mirrors what you're saying. Larinaga with Miami, they're struggling against Drake. They're trying to pick up the pace in the game. He decides to press full court. They go on a 16-1 run. The rest is history, right? there. There's all these coaching decisions. As I said, uh, you know, we were talking about this when I first came back and started the show. College basketball is a coach's game. And yeah. when you get to the tournament, you see these coaching decisions. They have such, you know, there's such magnitude on those decisions and they all come back to bite you or help you in the end. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because when I watched the Princeton-Missouri game, at the end of the Princeton-Missouri game, Missouri wasn't letting up. They were full court pressing and Princeton was having a hard time, you know, getting the ball in bounds, getting it advanced. And, you know, they were going to make their free throws, but they were struggling. If I were them, I would be really practicing Monday, Tuesday before they got to go to the tournament. Whoever plays them the next time is going to get, they're going to press them because they got to try to change them and make them uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I was surprised that Mizzou didn't press them and put more pressure on them yeah. earlier in the game. We've seen that a lot in this tournament, too, where even with Purdue all year, Lombardi, they had two freshmen in the backcourt, and it felt like all these Big Ten teams, they wouldn't press or put pressure on until, you know, four minutes to go in the game, and it, the game was a little bit out of hand at that point. But as soon as they did, Purdue struggled, and then all of a sudden we get to the tournament, FDU does it, and the rest is history. You know, I think a lot of it, too, is, is Tate Frazier. A lot of it is competitive 
endurance and stamina. I mean, you've got to have conditioning to be able to last there. Uh, you know, I mean, that's the key to this is can you play hard in the last seven minutes like you played in the first seven minutes? And, and that requires tremendous conditioning. And there's some guys that have it and some guys that don't. Yeah, you do a uh, a newsletter that I love. It's called The Daily Coach, and it's you and George Raveling. And George Raveling is one of those guys when I did the five-star project I got to talk to him a lot about basketball. I got to hear a lot of stories from him. And, you know, I I keep up with you guys as as you put those out. And there's a lot of coaches that follow it. There's a lot of coaches that you're in contact with. One of those coaches is a guy, you know, five years ago at this point, back when he was at Nevada, you said, you got to get on Eric Musselman. And I was like, oh, yeah, Eric Musselman from, from the NBA. You're right. You're like, yes, he's at Nevada. He's got the transfers going. He's got a great team. He's a great coach. He's a great guy. I was in Maui this year. I, I saw Musselman and this team up close and personal. They're so talented. He He's on fire right now. I, obviously, we just saw him rip his shirt off after beating <laughs> the reigning national champs. But h- how fun is it to see Musselman in this journey? Because, you know, he kind of went to the bottom and then and then worked his way all the way back to he's going for three straight elite eights right now. Yeah, you know, there's no overnight sensations in any anything, whether it's entertainment, singing, coaching. You know, so when Mus when Mus and I, we when he was at the Warriors, he and I became friends, and we've been friends since those days. I was at the Raiders at the time. And, and and he wanted to get into college hoops. So he took a job at Arizona State, then he went to LSU and he got the Reno job. And and then he gets the our Arkansas job. And I, I mean, I I I kept telling that athletic director at Arkansas, like, this is this guy's a great coach. Like this guy's got Belichickian traits to him. He's different than Bill, but he he can see the game and he can adjust it. What what I'm impressed with him this year, Tate Frazier, is this is not his kind of team. Like this is too many great players for him. He's usually with guys who are junior college transfers, guys who are on the last leg. Guys, guys with that, that edge that they're just kind of like, this is almost yeah, desperation got, play. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're the same as him, but this is, but I think what he's been able to do is deliver his message, you know, and, and, and like he keeps saying all the time, we could lose to anybody and we could beat anybody. And I think when you saw them in Hawaii, they were not a team. They were, as Belichick says, they were just a bunch of talent. And eventually now they've become a team and they found a way to do it. And I, and I think at the end of the game, you know, they were able to make the plays and get the stops they needed to. And, and they can play physical. I mean, they can play any style that they want, you know. And so I'm really impressed with his coaching. I mean, he's been relentless with it. Uh, because this is not a team that I would say he's really comfortable coaching. This is not like, okay, this is in my wheelhouse, you know, like, like I, I think to me it's getting there. Like, I think this win will get them to buy. One thing the coach has to be able to do is say, this is Belichick's greatest virtue is said, you know, when they, when you, when he tells you how to win and you do it that way, you gain credibility, and I think that's where Mus is right now. And Mus made a, a very uncomfortable decision that I feel like still is flying under the radar in this game. He benched a potential top five pick. You know, I mean, Nick Smith is a guy that is the highest, you know, blue chipper on his team. But in this game, Nick Smith was a liability out there, especially on the offensive end, taking possessions away. And Mus in the second half says, "Come sit down next to me." 
We're going to yeah. have Devo Davis take over, you know, your, your role basically. And then after the game, I mean, the emotions of Devo Davis, I, I saw, you know, Danielle Musselman, you know, tweeting about how much it meant, you know, the emotions of the moment, something that they're going to remember forever. And, you know, it, it, you know, March always kind of showcases the humanity of the moment, but seeing that after the game and, and then also making that uncomfortable decision in the moment, that's coaching. And, that, and that's what I think yeah. must showed in that moment. I do. I mean, look, I was watching the game too. And Nick Smith's one of those guys who's very frustrating. He could, you can see his talent, you can see his athleticism, but sometimes they just don't do a lot of smart things on the court. They turn the ball over. One of the things in talking to him before that game, you know, it, you got to avoid losing before you can beat Kansas. Mm. And when you turn the ball over, you're not avoiding losing. I thought the guy that was really impressive was Ricky Council. He decided to take the game over at the end. And he was determined to do it, and he did it. And he fits the bill of what you're talking about with Musselman players, typically. And I saw that in Maui. It's like there's a lot of guys that they they kind of do like the the ooh and ah factor of this team, whether it's Anthony Black, whether it's Nick Smith, you know, whether it's Jordan Walsh. But at the end of the day, when Arkansas needs someone to go get a bucket for him, it's been Ricky Council the fourth. And and in this game, it was the perfect example: seven points in the last two minutes, and, and locked it up at the end. No doubt. I mean, and that's what they needed. And, you know, and the other kid, Morgan, I think it is, the, you know, I, I think it's Mo Mo Jordan Walsh, right? Jordan Walsh it is, right? I mean, he's one of those sleepy good players. He gives like, me Shane Battier vibes. He really does, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, like, he just is, he makes a lot of plays. He's hard to defend. And I think he raises the level of competitiveness on their team. I really do. I mean, they, they he sets a standard of how we have to compete. I, I think he's an interesting, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up playing. 12, 14 minutes in the NBA just playing defense. Yeah, I think he's going to be a guy that pops up on a playoff team that maybe comes in and helps swing a series, especially at home. You know, he's one of those yeah. guys, too, that you can just say, you go out there and guard him, and he's going to take care of business like a Shane Battier. Yeah, he's long, Tony too. Allen, one of those guys. Yeah, I saw him standing next to Muss. He's so damn long. I mean, you know. 7'3 so, wingspan. Yeah, I mean, it looks it. Like, to right. me, that, 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 so, look, that, it'll be interesting to see who they play. They're going to, this is good. They're going to have to kind of keep raising their level of play. There's no doubt. Yeah. I, a couple more things where I, I let you go, Lombardi. I know we're in the middle of games right now, but uh, Jim Nance is also one of those people that is uh, close to you that I know is a close family friend. And, you know, this is his last two raw, his last run in March. Um, you know him well. He's a Houston grad. Houston's a one seed. Me personally, I would love to see Houston in Houston in the final four with Jim Nance on the call. How excited do you think he is for this moment and how much are you enjoying watching him on this last run? Well, I always love watching him. I mean, as I tell people all the time, as as nice as he appears on camera, he's nicer in person. And I don't mean <laughs> right. just because he's my friend. You know, he wrote the forward to for my next book, which I tremendously appreciate. Uh, and, you know, I, I picked Houston to win the, the whole thing because of him. I, I just and I like Kelvin Sampson. And I think this is kind of one of those teams that that has the nitty gritty toughness to do it. So it's kind of in the cards, you know, like he I, I really feel that way. And it'll be interesting who he gives that tie to at the end. <laughs> Hopefully it is Kelvin Sampson or some player on their team. Right. Because that's going to be a special moment. I mean, he's given up something because he wants to be able to focus on his family and he's still going to do golf and he's still going to do the NFL. 
But to me, it, the voice of, you know, we lose Billy Packer this year and Jim and him were so close friends and they did it so many times together. It would be great to see Houston kind of go out as his alma mater. Yeah, and I Maybe love Freddie Couples up there. Maybe Freddie will come in for the, you know, so, so they were all in the dorm, dorm room. Blaine McAllister, they're all, they were all kind of roommates together. Yeah, Freddie Couples, best swing in golf, also the coolest man in golf. So I would love to see Freddie Couples get some some nice cutaways wow. in the crowd. That'd be I, fun. I got to tell you, Tate Frazier, Freddie Couples, Freddie Couples, <laughs> Millie and I, and the boys, they were young. We meet Jim at Stanford's. There's a there's a coffee shop on Stanford's right in downtown Palo Alto. So we go meet him and Freddie for for breakfast before Stanford's going to play a game. And this is when Montgomery was coaching Stanford. So we go to the game and we're sitting in the stands and Freddie walks on the court. And this is when Stanford was good, right? The, the the kids are lined up to wait in there. And as soon as Freddie walks into the into the into the arena, the entire place goes. Freddie couple like it just goes for <laughs> 10 minutes long I mean it was so good I was like one of those moments you remember forever yeah he's one of those guys that everybody loves you know and somehow everybody, everybody knows so that's uh you know that's the best he's such a good guy and he's so laid back I mean he's just kind of laid back and such a good dude yeah one one more thing Lombardi before I let you go uh one last football question my Panthers they traded for the number one pick I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, sports books and, you know, people out there that are saying C.J. Stroud from Ohio State is the number one pick. I just have to say, and I have to ask you, I mean, it seems like it has to be Bryce Young, right? Can I? Can you give me some solace in that? I think it has to be Bryce Young. I, you know, I, I said this on my podcast, uh, the GM Shuffle. I said that, you know, I think it, I'm told it's, I'm told reliably it's Bryce Young. I think there's Makes a little bit of, a, I think there's a little bit of a, of an element within their building that that they liked. They do like C.J. Stroud. Bryce Young's going to work out on Wednesday. He's going to throw this Wednesday at the University of Alabama's timing pro day. So that's going to tell us a lot. But Bryce Young's got that, you know, Bryce Young's either going to be Steph Curry or he's not going to play, or he's going to be Doug Flutie. It's there's probably not going to be any in between, right? And 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 he is so instinctively talented. You know, last year in the NFL, there were five. You know, uh, everybody says, "Well, he's five ten. He's going to get passes batted down." Well. Burrow and Herbert were in the top two, top five of passes batted down. Both those guys are over six four. <laughs> a lot of it is the angle of your delivery. He's got that Drew Brees overhand delivery, and he's got that instinct. And the more you watch him, and I've been very concerned about his size, and I still am about the hundred and even though he weighed two oh six, he's not going to be two oh six. He's going to play around one ninety five. Can he withstand the pounding and the hits? But for me, of all the quarterbacks, when his mama lifted him from the crib. He was a quarterback. Yes. Like there's things he does that you don't have to teach. And I think that's what's going to make him the first pick overall. And I think that's why you trade up to number one. I mean, I, I like CJ Stroud as well. And, you know, there's Will Levitt, right? There's other guys that that can check the boxes of a quarterback. But if you trade up for number one, it's because you see someone that's special, right? That was the argument. Yeah. Even when we did the show at GM Street, Baker Mayfield, right? There was just a belief in that Cleveland building that he was special. He had that it factor and he had that crib factor. Like you said, he came out, he's supposed to be a quarterback. And that's why you draft the guy number one, in my opinion. Yeah. And I, I mean, look, he he clearly has did, did it and and against great competition too, Tate Frazier. I mean, like you go back and watch the Georgia championship game, uh his junior year or whatever, sophomore year, whatever the hell the year he couldn't come out. <laughs> right. He he played great and he made some incredible throws. So it's gonna be a fun time to see what happens. I mean, Carolina gave up a lot to get there. 
you know, they're, they're going to decide whether they're going to sign Adam Thielen or DJ Chark this week. They need to get another veteran receiver, but they've got a good team. That offensive line, James Camp and their line coach did a really good job last year. They get Miles Sanders, who's a really good back. I mean, they're one pass rusher away opposite of Brian Brian Burns to really take them to the next level if the quarterback plays well. And as you can tell, Mike Lombardi, he's the best in the NFL, the best in the business. If you want to know what's happening in football, go listen to GM Shuffle. Go watch VEASAN and see him there every single day. Lombardi, what else are you doing right now for the people at home that are listening? Oh, I'd still, Coach Rab and I, you know, I don't know if you know this, Coach Rab was on the stage when Dr. King gave the I Have a Dream speech. He's an incredible person. I mean, he, the stories he has. Human yeah. and, and when he walked off that stage, Coach Rab said, Dr. King, could I have a copy of that speech? He owned it forever. Wow. And he gave it to the University of Villanova. So he and I and, and two other guys, we write the Daily Coach every day, which is the greatest labor of love I've ever had in my life. Take phrase, even though we don't charge anything for it, nor do we make any money off of it, it's been the most rewarding thing in my career to do that every day. So I do the Daily Coach. I do my VEASAN thing, got the podcast, and and now I'm kind of just going to promote Football Done Right, which is my football book that's going to come out in August. Well, when that book comes out, please come back on the show and, and promote it and uh, talk about it. I want to have you back on to talk about the NFL draft as we get closer to that. Um, there was a great quote in The Daily Coach that I wanted to point out, just as you mentioned it. It's easy to make it hard, and it's hard to make it easy. Um, there's a lot of great gyms like that that come out of the the coaching conversations and all the guys that bring in stuff. And uh, yeah. Coach Rav is the best, and I love having he that insight. He is really good. And, and I think that that quote right there summarizes a little bit of what we deal with today. A lot of players, they hang Kobe uh, Kobe Bryant's picture on their wall, right? And if you ask them, like, what are the, what are the five things you do that Kobe does? They don't really answer you. They can't answer you because you know, they don't really. They love Kobe, but they don't understand Kobe. Like, do you get up at four thirty in the morning to go shoot? Do you do you work out? You know, like people want it too easy when they need to make it hard. Mm, and there you go. That's uh, that's the wisdom from Michael Lombardi that we love the best. Lombardi, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hope you enjoy Vegas. Tell Millie I said hello. Tell the whole family I, I said hello. Appreciate you coming on One Shotting Podcast. You're the best. Thanks, Tate Frazier. See you. Thanks, cousin. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As a plant-based cheese company, Daya has never talked about beef in an ad before because someone somewhere once had a beef with saying beef and plant-based together. So putting a slice of Daya cheese on a beef burger, not okay. Well, our delicious melty cheese has a beef with your beef about beef because any step towards plant-forward eating is a step in the right direction. Daya, 100% plant-based, even if you're not. Now made with Daya Oat Cream Blend. All right, there you have it. Michael Lombardi, man, he's the best, Kyle. He remembers me, too. I didn't know what was going to happen. He called there. you Cousin Kyle, but, like, you know, I mean, there's Cousin Sal, and, you know. That's, the, that's good by me. Yeah, right. that's good by me. I think it's better. I think it's better than Nephew. I, I mean, even though I like when. It's I, better that he could have been, like, tell your little friend there, uh, whatever. So I'm glad. I'm glad yeah, I'm little there. friend would have been tough. I don't, <laughs> I don't think you could have handled little friend. But, like, and also, you know, Nephew is, like, our, all the older guys would be like, what up, Few? You know, like, right. what up, Nephew? Like, right. Nephew has some nice connotations. House but, is, like, the only dude that I know 
it does that still. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, good for House. Gets, I'm glad. I'm glad ha- but that's because House is house from DC. You know yeah. what I mean? He gets, he's allowed to say that. Chocolate City. He's got it right. Um, but yeah, there you go. Lombardi, he's the best. We're going to have him back on because look, One Shining Podcast, as soon as college basketball season is over, we're going to have all types of stuff to talk Consider about. Consider the ripcord pulled. Right. We're going to start talking about other stuff and uh, we'll talk about the NFL with Lombardi because he's my guy. I stay in touch with him. His son is the offensive coordinator of the Raiders right now. So he's back with Jimmy G. Lombardi's in Vegas. It's all good things. I'm very excited. Um, yeah, that, that was the best. Great to talk to him. Wish we could have talked to him more, but we got bigger, bigger things going on in the world of March Madness. So let's get the shout outs because... Uh, I have a few shout-outs here, Kyle. First, I want to shout-out one of your good friends. His name is Troy. He's our friend now, buddy. He's our friend now. I mean, he he's always been my friend, but, you know, I, I never wanted to, like, take that ownership because you you introduced us. But Troy is a frolic room slash dark room slash any room legend, and uh, Troy is a diehard Michigan State guy, and he is someone that I saw him, a, what, about a month ago, and we, we were at Frolic Room, and he was talking to me about Michigan State, and he said, I felt like this is a year. He was like, I feel like this is a year we could actually make a run, and he was right. He was the one that got me that old adage that Tom Izzo does it when Tom Izzo is not supposed to do it, and Troy knew, um, give him his due. And I, we're, we're going to have him on the show at some point. Maybe if Tom Izzo gets to the Final Four, we have Troy on and just let him rant, you know, about how much the Michigan State Spartans are carrying the banner for the Big Ten. Yeah, it's uh, he's he works at the bar, by the way, and uh, it's just a, it's quite a sight, whether it's Michigan State football or Michigan State basketball playing. It's uh, it's the wildest ride you'll ever have at that windowless bar, I'll tell you that. Well, he's a diehard. He's a true fan. That, that's all we can say. Yes. I mean, like, college sports the fans. The obscenities flying from that bar. Right. Just, I mean, we're, charming. we're we're all maniacs, right, when it comes to our teams, and that's what, you know, makes the difference, and Troy is one of those guys. So I wanted to shout him out. He's the man. Um, look, I want to shout out this stat right here. This is coming from one of my favorite researchers in all of sports. His name is Brian Ives, and uh, it's because he brings out some great stats, like this one right here. Shout out to the ACC. There's been an ACC team in the Sweet 16 for 43 consecutive tournaments. That is the longest streak in basketball by 19 seasons. So uh, Miami had to carry the banner for the ACC. If they didn't, that streak would have been dead. Yeah, you didn't feel so good. I didn't feel good about it. I didn't feel good about it at all. But once Michigan State won, I was thinking, oh, maybe Miami can get it done just by the way that it bounces out with the conferences. It doesn't make sense, but somehow it does. And uh, there you go. Miami's in there. They keep that stat alive. Also, another thing I wanted to point out, I see a lot of uh, RIP the Blue Bloods. No more Blue Bloods left in the in the tournament. And I want to point out to all those people and say, you're an idiot. You're dumb. <laughs> UCLA is a Blue Blood. Totally. UCLA has 11 national championships. UCLA is still in the tournament. UCLA is still a member of the Conference of Champions, a.k.a. Bill Walton. Um, who is a friend of the program. We love to death here. Shout out to Hami Hawkes Jr. Shout out to Kyle's guy, Tiger Campbell. UCLA is in the tournament. Stop disrespecting them. Stop saying there's no Blue Bloods left. UCLA is there. They're carrying the banner for the Blue Bloods. I'm 100% behind them, by the way. You never know who's listening, and uh, and maybe some of those people are high up in UCLA, and I'll be uh, in and around town for whatever you may need. And we will wear anything UCLA. I mean, if it has a Jordan logo on it, I feel like I'm cleared to wear it because if someone says anything, I would just be like, I'm supporting Michael Jordan. There happens to be a UCLA thing. But also, Kyle, like you said, this is our hometown. This is our hometown team. UCLA and LA at large needs college basketball. They need a team to get behind Back in the early 2000s, because people will say, like, L.A., they can't accept college sports. They don't like college. They don't get college sports. And look, if you went to the bar that I went to the other day and you watched the MMA fight, you would agree with me. You agree with all those people. (laughs) 
But I think UCLA can capture the zeitgeist of the city, and I think we can all get behind them if they make a title run. Is, am I crazy, Kyle? I think we can do it. I'm already all in. I'm just trying to bring everybody with me. So. All right. Let's hop on the bandwagon. Let's all be together. Let's all be locked in. Let's get UCLA to Houston to the Final Four because the Blue Bloods need it. And, I mean, I hate to say it. I know I'm, I'm team little guy, um, but I'm also a Blue Blood, and I can't help it. It is, what, it is who I am. I, I don't... <laughs> I don't want to harp on it. I don't want to focus on it, but sometimes you got to mention it. And uh, shout out to UCLA. I appreciate you guys hanging on, staying in the tournament. Um, I want to shout out the MMA. Speaking of, uh, I was watching that fight yesterday, and and I still don't know what I watched. I, I I could not look away. It was in my peripheral as I was watching Kansas lose. But I think it taught me a lesson, Kyle. And the lesson is this. You got to fight back. <laughs> You just got to fight back. And uh, that's kind of been the story in this tournament, right? Kansas State was the epitome of that. I mean, they got hit in the mouth. Kentucky had them down, but they just kept fighting back. I mean, Marquette, same thing. They, they kept fighting back. It didn't work out in the end. But the MMA, trying to make that connection, trying to get these, uh, you know, L.A. people to, to care about college basketball. There's some fighting in these, in these games as well. Um, you know, so here we go. Michigan State, by the way. Um, <laughs> If they end up playing Tennessee, if Tennessee beats Florida Atlantic, that might be an MMA fight. Tennessee and Michigan State, that's going to be the most physical game we'll see in the tournament. So just getting everybody prepared <laughs> for that. you there, buddy. That yeah. was really nice. You're get, a pro. Yeah, I'm getting everybody fired up. That's what we got to do. Um, all right, a couple more shout-outs before we get out of here. Shout-out to the Race of 69. Um, God, it's so good. It's so good. We are, uh, we are done with the first round, and the Race of 69 remains undefeated. I am still waiting for the national media to pick this up. I'm not saying that I deserve credit or or, or anyone. I'll say it. That's what I'm here for. Okay. Buddy. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate that. Stick your neck out. Maybe tweet it at someone. Maybe tag someone. <laughs> um, Race to 69 remains undefeated. I'm excited about this. Um, last, last year, people forget the Race to 69 almost worked perfectly until the national championship game when it didn't. But of course, as we all know, there were injuries involved. So there's there there's caveats to be made. There's arguments to be made. I don't make excuses. I just make caveats. That's all it is. Um, but again, race sixty nine undefeated. That's good for the show. That's good for OSP. Um, look, it's a late night. I appreciate everyone tuning in and listening. I want to thank everyone for you know just sticking with us while we get this all right, get this all together. No Kyle Man tonight because of travel. Um, so that changed things, but Michael Lombardi, a guy that I can always call on was there for us. So shout out to him. Appreciate him. Um, I'm excited for the sweet 16. We got some great matchups. Um, uh, we got some great talking points. We got some great characters. We got some great storylines and that's what I want in college basketball. Look, this is the oldest NCAA tournament ever. Okay. The oldest NCAA tournament ever. And that is fascinating. That it's, that's his own separate storyline. And Sister Jean's not even involved, okay? This is the oldest tournament ever without Sister Jean even being involved, so that's good. And here are the four oldest teams. So if you're someone that buys into veteran teams that can get things done, you got Miami, you got Texas, you got Xavier, and you got San Diego State. So if you like old teams, you like veteran teams, lean on those four teams as we move forward. Um, I'm excited for what we have coming up next week on the show. We have one of my favorite people in media. He is a guy that actually is a cousin. His name is Cousin Sal. He's going to come on the show. I gave a lot of picks to Cousin Sal and Against All Odds and to, to the whole Extra Points Network, Dave Damashek included. There's been some backlash, Kyle. There's been some comments. Um, there's been some text messages. There's been some harassment. Um, I don't know who to report it to, but there's been, there's been some things that have been said. Um, and look, I'm a big man. I'll be the fall guy. I've told everyone I'm down to be the fall guy. 
But look, you didn't see my other bracket. That's all I got to say. You did not see my other bracket. Um, Cousin Sal's coming on the show. We're going to talk all about it. He's going to preview the Sweet 16. We're going to talk about some gambling stuff. We're going to talk about some fun stories from back in the day. He's the best. So thanks to Cousin Sal, Cousin Sal for agreeing to come on the show. Also, we're going to have a special special guest on that show um, that is actually involved in the NCAA tournament. I'm not going to tell you who it is. but Just in case it all falls down. Yeah, just in case it all falls apart. Um, but yeah, he's going to come on the show. So that show will be coming out on Wednesday. That'll be the next time you hear from us. You're probably listening right now, I'd assume, on a Monday. But maybe not. Maybe it's Sunday could night. could be that one weirdo who wants us to put it up 20 minutes faster. Well, shout out to that guy because... Uh, <laughs> I'm not driving home today, just despite that guy. Oh, I'm you're going to edit here. I'll stay right here. Oh, I'll wow. Right See, here. that's why Kyle's the best producer in the business. Um, everybody knows it. Everybody talks thanks about it. Uh, yeah, thanks to that guy for making it happen. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to everyone at Spotify for letting us, uh, you know, hang here all uh, late at night. Thanks and those and, two security guards. Yeah, those two security guards are awesome. They're Thanks basically becoming around. our best friends. There's a chance they end up on the podcast at this rate. <laughs> we do love characters, especially real people in real life. Maybe we get them to like college basketball. That's our goal. We want everyone to like college basketball. This is the best time of the year. I appreciate everyone tuning in. This has been One Shining Podcast. This has been the first round of the NCAA tournament. We will be back on Wednesday with Cousin Sal and a special guest. We will see you then.